Hello and welcome to Peace, the podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Peace, a United Methodist community in Shoreview, Minnesota. I'm Jason Steffenhagen, the lead pastor. And each episode will typically start with a sacred story reading coming from the Holy Scriptures, followed by the message that was given during our Sunday morning worship time. Any announcements for our community will come at the end of each episode, so stick around. If you are curious about learning more about Peace United Methodist Community, you can go to peaceumc.com. Again, that's peaceumc.com. If you would like to find more episodes, you can find them on our website or go to our show page, which is peacethepodcast.podbean.com. Once again, that's peacethepodcast.podbean, P-O-D-B-E-A-N, We hope that you enjoy this episode. Please like, rate, review, subscribe. And now, on to the Sacred Story reading. This comes from the book of Ruth, chapter 1, and I'm reading verses 7 through 9. Now, this might be wildly out of context. You might not have any idea why I'm reading this. I will do a nerdy deep dive into this in a few moments. So, this is Naomi. So, she, Naomi, set out from the place where she had been living, she and her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to go back to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find security, each of you, in the house of your husband. Then she kissed them and they wept aloud. They wept aloud. I love that line, that simple line in the scriptures where it says that they wept aloud together. We're going we're gonna to find out why here in a few moments. We've all heard the phrase, don't put the cart before the horse, right? We've all heard that. And we all have probably many examples of when we have put the cart before the horse or when society puts the cart before the horse or the financial institutions put the cart before the horse and then the stock market crashes or things come tumbling down. We can see this with the housing market, right? We weren't finding out that people had enough security to actually pay off the loan they had and then it was happening over and over and over and and a whole lot of other financial stuff that I don't have the ability to get into at the moment or the wisdom to understand, eventually it crashed, right? The cart was put before the horse, and these were bad loans going out, and it ended up causing a crash. We're seeing this right now, actually, with the streaming situation with things like Netflix and Disney Plus and the other streaming uh, services. They put the cart before the horse. They had a bunch of subscribers, but they actually didn't have a way of making any money. And Wall Street said, don't worry, just keep spending money, keep spending money. We trust that it's going to be there. Well, it's not there. And Netflix, a while back, lost 250,000 subscribers in a quarter. And everyone was like, "Uh uh-oh, cart got before the horse. We didn't know how to make money. And suddenly, they didn't have more and more and more subscribers like they thought they were going to. Now what? And so all these streaming companies are trying to figure out, okay, what does it mean to make money in this new era of doing television? And how do we move forward without going bankrupt, right? And so the cart got put before the horse. 
really simple example of the cart going before the horse is watching first graders play basketball. So you all know that I love watching my kids play basketball. I talk about it way too often up here. But the little first graders put the cart before the horse because they get the ball and they just shoot it no matter where they are because they're so excited to have the ball. And the ball ends up 40 feet short of the hoop. Why? Because they're at half court. They got the ball, chucked it, like, woo And it's like, what? What are you doing? You know, we see this on the football field when you're watching NFL players go across the middle and they're going to catch a pass. But what do they do right before they catch the pass? They look to see if a linebacker or a free safety is going to absolutely demolish them. And so before they catch the ball, they take a look up to see who's about to hit me. And the cart got put before the horse because they actually didn't catch the football. And it's just an incomplete pass. You got to catch the pass before you can take the hit. You got to see it all the way into your arms before you can take the hit. And I get when you got a huge 250-pound person who runs a 4-4, 40-yard dash coming at you that you might want to look to see how bad this is going to hurt. But if you don't catch it, it's going to hurt for no reason, right? (laughs) Might as well catch the football first and then get hit because you're going to get hit no matter what. We got to put the cart. We don't want to put the cart before the horse. We got to get things in the right order. You're probably wondering, okay, this is fun, but why are we talking about this? Two reasons. One, I want to make sure we put the horse before the cart, not the cart before the horse, as we dive into this book. So I'm going to do a little historical context for you of what's going on at this time and in this place and in this story that makes the events of this story so impactful. I want to make sure the horse is before the cart. Because if I just read that scripture to you and say, so what did you learn from that? I, I don't know that Naomi has two daughters-in-law and she's sending them home and they cried. Okay, what do I learn from that? I don't know. You might want a little more context before you actually learn something from that. Also, the big application that's going to come at the end, I want to make sure that we highlight the need to put the horse before the cart because if we don't, we don't, we're going to mess up our shared life together. Because there's a big theme going on in the book of Ruth about power. And what do we do with power? And too often in our individual lives and in our corporate life together, we put the cart before the horse and we use power in a way that is inappropriate. And so my hope today is that we can kind of get things in the right order. We can catch the pass, then take the hit. We can look to see if we're at half court or under the basket before shooting, right? We can look to see if we actually have a way of making money before we keep throwing money at a situation. Whatever it is, let's make sure that we put the horse before the cart. So what is the context in the book of Ruth? It's set way back in the beginning of the Bible. We have the book of Genesis where they are growing as a family and they're becoming this this group of people. They find themselves in Egypt where they grow into a large nation of people. There's the 12 tribes that are the descendants of Jacob and they find themselves in Egypt and they become slaves in Egypt. And then God brings along a liberator through the person of Moses and says, we're going to take the people out of Egypt and we're going to bring them to the land flowing with milk and honey into the promised land. And so Moses liberates the people. They cross the Red Sea miraculously, and then they are on the doorstep 40 years later of the promised land. And we're going to see through the person of Joshua and others that they are going to fight battles after battle, and they're going to settle in the promised land, and they're going to find themselves a people operating in the promised land. But it's the time of the judges. The time of the judges is the time before they get a king 
but after they've been liberated. It's this in-between time where they are trying to figure out who are we as a people. And at times, they drift away from God, and they start following the gods of another nation. And God's like, "Mm, not what I had in mind. And so bad things happen. God raises up a judge or a leader who comes along and says, let's get things back on track. Usually there's a battle. If you're a pacifist, do not read the book of Judges. Um, It's a rough read. And there's a lot of different theological reasons why it's, it's there and what's going on. And we can have that conversation some other time. I'm not here to defend the book of Judges or Joshua for that matter. All I'm saying is that it's very violent and there's a lot happening in those two books. But The book of Judges ends with this interesting line. And the line is, everyone was doing what they thought was right in their own eyes. Essentially, everyone's trying to figure this out, and they're doing the best they can, but it's what makes sense for them, not as a collective group. God has yet to say, all right, let's centralize the leadership here. Let's focus on what we're doing. Let's get this organized. That has not happened yet. And so everyone's drifting around, trying to figure this out, trying to understand what to do. And then we have this small, short, four-chapter book called Ruth. And at the very beginning, it says, this story takes place during the time of the judges. So we do not have a king in Israel. They are not in captivity or the, or the wilderness. They're not wandering around. They are in the promised land, and they are trying to figure out what it means to be a family and to be a people, and everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes. Now, you can imagine that when people are doing what's right in their own eyes, as you and I might do, sometimes you might stumble into love and justice, mercy, kindness, generosity, because that's what you think is right in your eyes. Others may think, you know, I don't really trust them over there. They're not real. They're really out for themselves. And if they're out for themselves, I got to be out for myself. And if they're out for themselves, they may take what I have. So I got to make sure I take what they have before they take what I have in order for me to survive. And so that seems right because survival is a pretty interesting thing and I should hang on to that. And so we see people who are making a judgment about what's right in their eyes being doing something that goes against the community that goes against the flow of love, it goes against the flow of justice, it goes against the flow of hospitality and grace because they think it's what's right in their eyes. And so at the beginning of the book of Ruth, Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, finds that the family is in the midst of a famine in Bethlehem. Bethlehem, when it's translated, is the house of bread. So right away, What the author of the book of Ruth is telling us is that there's a famine in the house of bread in the promised land. Does that sound normal to you? We we should already have our antenna up going, something's off here. How is there a famine in the house of bread in the promised land? And why, if there's a famine here, would you find yourself leaving? Because what Elimelech does is he says to his wife, Naomi, and his two sons, we're out of here. We're leaving. We're going to the land of Moab. And now for us, it's like, okay, cool. So they went to Iowa or Wisconsin, or they just crossed the border into Canada. No big deal. Like everyone's friendly. I mean, most Wisconsinites are like cool with us Minnesotans, unless it's like, you know, football season. And it's that certain Sunday of the, of the, of the, you know, year, but otherwise we get along pretty well. 
not Israel and Moab. Israel and Moab are arch enemies. When Israel was floating around and trying to figure out how to cross into the promised land, Moab was one of the only countries that tried to hold them up and said, nah, we're not helping you. And God was trying to help the Moabites help the Israelites and was trying to create some synergy there and some some connectivity. And the Moabites were having none of it. And essentially they were cursed and they were like, don't ever trust the Moabites. Don't ever go in their land. Don't ever associate with them. They're not good news. And so everybody in Israel at this time knew Moab's a bad place. Elimelech, for some reason, decides, I'm not going to stay in the house of bread anymore. I'm not going to stay within this group of people where we can help one another. I'm going to take my family and run off to Moab where I think I'll be better off. He's doing what's right in his eyes. He's using his power to move his family away from everything they've known, away from the promised land, away from Bethlehem, and moving them into the land where they are now finding themselves living with their arch enemies. Well, Elimelech doesn't last too long. He ends up dying. So now his choices have left his wife and two sons all alone in this place. Naomi does the best that she can. She finds two Moabite women to marry her two sons. If you translate their names, their names are actually sickness and death. (laughs) I'm not even kidding. I'm not kidding. So we're in the promised land and we're in the house of bread, which is Bethlehem. They leave that. Their kids' names are sickness and death, and then they die. Now, when my friends and I were having this conversation, recording a podcast in the book of Ruth, we were like, okay, this has got to be the author telling us about the nature of like the health of these kids. This is, that can't actually be their names, right? Like that can't be what you name your kid. You can't name it sickness and death. And so we're probably telling something about the status of this family at this time, that the family was experiencing some despair. This family was headed in the wrong direction. Okay. So, or Elimelech just thought, oh, this will be a funny joke. I'll name my kids sickness and death. That'll mess with them a little bit when they get older. Well, well they're not going to last too long because they actually are going to get sick and they're going to die. And so they do. They get sick and they die. And so now Naomi, who's been dragged away from the house of bread and has been forced to live with her enemies and has her husband pass away, she finds wives for her kids. They don't have any children for 10 years. And then the two children die. The two boys die. And now Naomi is finding herself in Moab, enemy territory, with two Moabite women who are now widows as well. So three widows are living in Moab, trying to figure out what life is going to be like for them. Last little bit of context for you. To be a woman at this time was not like it is now. I think you probably already know that most of you that have studied the Bible at all know that women in the Bible do not have the same standing that women do now. They did not they were not allowed to have property, they were not allowed to have rights. They were essentially under the authority of the males in their family line. And so for Naomi to be in a foreign land without a husband and to have two daughters-in-law who have lost their husbands is to essentially have no hope whatsoever. No hope. They don't, like, what do you do if you are a widow in a foreign land with two women under your care who are also widows and have no standing in their country? And that's where we pick up with that verse 7 
where we ask the where we hear about what she says to these two women. She hears that there's something better happening in Israel. She hears there may be bread again. She hears there may be hope in Israel. And so she's going to head out for Israel. She's going to go back. She's going to make the trek back home. And she turns to her daughters-in-law and says, go back, each of you, to your mother's house. And may the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. That word kindly seems really simple for us. But it's a monumental word in the Bible. The word there is hased, and it's spelled C-H-E-S-E-D. So if you ever want to look up a cool Hebrew word and learn more about it, the word is hased, C-H-E-S-E-D. It should have been on a screen. So here's a little quote from Carolyn Curtis James, who wrote a book called Finding God in the Margins. And here's what she writes about the word hased. One of the most potent words in the Old Testament, Hebrew scholars tell us that hesed is a strong Hebrew word that sums up the ideal lifestyle for God's people. It's the way God intended for human beings to live together from the very beginning. The love your neighbor as yourself brand of living. An active, selfless caring for one another that goes against the grain of our fallen nature. Hesed is driven not by duty, or legal obligation, but by a bone-deep commitment, a loyal, selfless love that motivates a person to do voluntarily what no one has a right to expect or ask of them. They have the freedom to act or walk away without the slightest injury to their reputation, yet they willingly pour themselves out for the good of someone else. It is actually the kind of love we see fully expressed in Jesus. So when she says, you've dealt kindly with me, when you've, tre- you've treated the dead and you've treated me with this kindness, she's not just saying, you've been, you've been decent daughters-in-law, I've appreciated having you around for a decade, and it's been nice living with you. Thank you. That's not what she's saying at all. What she's saying is that in you, I have seen the very embodiment of what God has intended for humanity. The way you've treated my sons and the way you've treated me is exemplary of exactly how humans should treat one another. And now, go with that same loving kindness. May God always, always be with you in the way that you have been with me. She's not just saying, appreciate your time. If you want to go back and live with your mom, and your dad, that's cool, I get it, my prospects aren't very good, she is saying something monumental. And here's the other thing we have to recognize. She's not saying this in Israel. She's not saying this in the house of bread in Bethlehem. She's not saying this to fellow Israelites. She's saying this to two Moabite women. She's saying this to people who were raised in enemy territory who were raised with with anger and animosity towards her own people. And she is naming that even in that place, she has seen exactly, exactly what God intends for human relationship. So here's 
the point of all this. Naomi, for the first time in her life, has power. She was dragged away from home, forced to live in enemy territory, lost her husband, lost her sons, and now she has autonomy to do something. And she has every right to make those women go with her. They are technically under her care by law. And she can say, you have to stay with me. You're going to provide for me. I'm getting old. You're younger. You're going to be the ones that take care of me. You're my daughters-in-law. This is what's required of you. This, is, this has to happen. And they would have nothing to say other than, okay, yes, ma'am. But instead, in the moment of her tribulation, in the moment of her having power for the first time, she holds that power and gives it away. She gives it away to someone else and says, you can go. And what we see in this book is that Orpah decides it's best for her to go back to her mother. But Ruth makes the decision to continue with Naomi. Interestingly, Orpah's not criticized for that decision. The book of Ruth never, ever contrasts Orpah and Ruth for making a different decision. One stays, one leaves. Both are blessed. Both are loving kindness. Both are are living in such a way that it's exemplary of what God intends. Ruth and Orpah are both blessed, not one or the other. Naomi sees in them this beautiful, loving kindness. That same word, hesed, is used in the book of Hosea, where the prophet says, I desire hesed, not sacrifice. I desire hesed. I desire this way of living, this loving kindness, this sacrificial pour yourself out on behalf of another. I want you to live in this way more than I want your sacrifices, more than I want your religiosity, more than I want you to pray a certain way, sing a certain way, worship a certain way, sacrifice things a certain way. I want you to embody this way of living in community more than all of that. More than all of that. And Jesus, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 13, is talking to the Pharisees and says, you need to go back and study Hosea 6, 6, where it says, I desire loving kindness more than sacrifice. Because the Pharisees had put the cart before the horse and had focused on the religion as the only thing that mattered as opposed to the loving kindness. Because all that we do together, the Super Bowl parties, the good neighbor meals, the book studies, the encore times together, it should all be about hesed. It should all be about hesed, this way of living together in community where those with power pour themselves out on behalf of others, pour themselves out and say, anything I can do to make this hum better for you, to make justice flow, to move towards grace and mercy. That is my responsibility. I want to embody that. And then all the religious stuff that we do, the inviting of the bell, the prayers that we pray together, the communion that we take, points us to what we should already be embodying. It's a reminder. It's a reflection. It's a a healthy tradition of saying, Don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. This isn't the thing. 
This points us to who we should be. It reminds us of who we should already be as we walk up and as we walk away. Because we are not called to go through the religion or go through the sacrifices or go through the rigmarole of religiosity. That isn't what God wants. That points us to who we should be in this world. We should be like Naomi, who when we have power, maybe for the first time, maybe in a small way, maybe in this one corner of our life, what do we do with it? Are we willing to give it away and to give others opportunity? Are we willing to see in others that same loving kindness that Naomi saw in Ruth and Orpah, her daughters-in-law? What does it look like for us to be that kind of community? Let me go ahead and pray, and then we'll talk a little bit about communion. God, we are so grateful for Naomi, grateful for the way that that she embodied this beautiful way of living with these two women, Ruth and Orpah, that even though it seems like everything was stacked against her in her life, that everything went the wrong way, that she still had the wisdom and the sight to see loving kindness, to see said where it was, to see the beauty of relationship lived out in such a self-sacrificial way. God, may we be people who can see that in others, whether it's people who are sitting across the aisle from us or whether it's somebody that we would never expect to embody it. May we see it because it's all around. And then may we embody that. May we be people who not only see it, but also do it. Because you desire that way of living, that type of action, that type of justice, that type of love, more than anything else. May we be that kind of people. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. We are a community that is reconciling and growing for everyone. And we really want to emphasize that for everyone. We trust and believe that God is on everyone's side and trying to move all people towards love and towards justice and towards hope and faith. And we are partnering with God in that endeavor. We want to see people connected and feeling like they belong because all people should belong and should have home and should have a place where they can experience that love and that connection that we all so much desire. Um, And so with that, we have a number of opportunities in our community to build that connection, to build that belonging. And some of those are fun. Some of those are educational. Um, Most of them are just fun. Um, Some of them are very detail-oriented, like after church today, we are going to be doing a budget meeting. Um, And so that sounds super, you know, fellowshipy, right? It's very exciting. I know. We all can't wait to see what the budget looks like. Um, and uh, But it is important, right? In order to make a community like this function, we have to have a budget and we have to be able to agree on how we want to utilize the funds that we have. And so we're going to do that later today. So that is coming up at 1115. Stick around for the, we call it a charge conference in the Methodist tradition. And so stick around for a charge conference. It's going to be really exciting. Tonight, as we talk about belonging and community and connection, tonight 
there is an opportunity for the youth to get together. We have a, our every other week or first and the third Sunday evenings of the month, we have an opportunity called Encore. It's for middle school and high school students to get together with Amanda and to spend time together, having fun, hanging out, playing games, eating food, and then also hopefully having some good, meaningful conversation about life and faith and how, and how difficult it can be, but also how beautiful it can be at the same time. And so that's tonight at 7 o'clock. It'll be over in the lounge area in the fellowship hall. And so if you're a middle school or high school student and you have friends, please feel free to tell people and to come tonight. If you were not here last week, one thing that we decided to do during the year is we gave out candles and little votives. And we're and it's, it's a tradition. It's an epiphany tradition called Candlemas. And the idea is that Whenever you light this candle, you are remembering that God is with you. It's that sense of the, the Christ that is always present, the God who is always with us. So if you did not get a candle last week and you would like to participate in Candlemas, please come talk to me afterwards and we'll make sure that you get a candle and a votive. And then throughout the year, we're going to be giving out little tea lights as we go based on the different season that we're in. Because if you know anything about the Christian calendar, there are different seasons of the church and seasons of our rhythm together in community. So we're going to give out candles that represent the different seasons and you can light those candles throughout the year to just remember that God is with you um, at all times. We're going to have a Super Bowl party. Um, there's a few of us that do a fantasy football league and I texted those group, that group, I emailed that group and I said, Hey, what if we did a Super Bowl party? Tom has a little digital antenna. It fits right on top of these monitors and it would be really easy to get the game up. And so what if we did that? And everyone was like, sure, it sounds like fun. I can be there for like 10 minutes or the first half. And, uh, no, but we're excited. We have a group of us that are going to be hosting. Uh, the idea here is really simple. If you have a fun, favorite kind of party dish to share, bring it. We'll provide drinks and some desserts. And then we'll have a quiet room, which is going to be in Pioneer Hall. That's for all the football fanatics and those who want to very closely watch commercials. I, we all know what I'm talking about. And then in the fellowship hall, we're going to have the food spread and we're going to have tables set up and that's going to be the loud room. And so if you want to just come and socialize, you don't really care about football at all, but you like humans, then come and hang out in the fellowship hall. That will be a great place to do that. So we're going to get started at five o'clock, but show up anytime that the game is on. The game kickoff is at 530. And so stick around anytime after five or 530 and be here for the football game. And if you can stick around and help clean up, that would be that'd be great. Um, we did start a podcast, so if you miss a message and you want to catch up on the series that we're in, you can download Peace, the podcast. It's really, really catchy title, Peace, the podcast. Um, that's how, that's the, you know, the elevator speech for it. Uh, anyway, so Peace, the podcast, check it out. Um, Peace Prayers is an opportunity for us to know how to pray for one another. So if you want to submit a prayer request or a celebration to the entire community, you can do that. Uh, there's a link on the Tuesday News. Um, and so you can sign up and write a prayer request or a prayer celebration. And that way, the entire community that gets Tuesday news um, will be able to, to lift that up in prayer. And there's also a, uh, an option there to, to let the prayer chain know as well. A couple other things. On the February 19th, we're going to have a family game night, which will hang out. We'll hang out in Fellowship Hall. Once again, bring a dish to share. We'll have drinks and desserts. We'll spend some time playing games together. And then after the game night is over, we have an opportunity for the youth because it's an encore night. And we have an opportunity for the adults because we are going to be doing a book discussion on Ibram X. Kendi's book, How to Be an Anti-Racist. As I mentioned a few weeks ago, there's a group of us that have been reading that and meeting throughout the fall. And we thought it'd be really good to have one big conversation 
uh, and talk about this and invite everyone that wants to to join us. So if you have a chance to read the book, we encourage you to do so. But if you haven't had a chance to read the book, you can still come. I'm going to put together a cheat sheet of kind of themes and quotes and questions for us. I'm going to do that early this week, and then I will put a link to that, or I'll put it on Tuesday News. If you want to download it, you can. And that way, if you just want to read the highlights and then come be a part of the discussion on the 19th, you're welcome to do that. That'll take place in Pioneer Hall on Sunday evening, February 19th. And you can get all of this information in Tuesday News, which is the best way to keep up with what goes on here at our community. One final um, announcement, which really gets at the heart of what we're talking about here, this idea of loving kindness and, and using what resources and power we have to help help others. Um, there's a group that's been working on creating a free little library, which we're going to be putting in the ground later this spring. And anyone that's interested in joining that effort and being a part of that can go to the next meeting, which will take place on February 16th. It's a Thursday night at 530. They'll just be meeting in the gathering room or in the fellowship hall or somewhere if there's not enough space for everyone. But anyone's welcome to come. And, and part of the reason for building this free little library isn't just because we are excited to encourage our community to read, but we want to be really intentional about what books are out there. What books can really help kids with seeing the world um, with all of its diversity and all of its fullness, um, helping adults have access to books that um, may otherwise have been taken off shelves in other places. And so we wanted to be really intentional about what books find their way into our free little library so that we can encourage our community to wrestle and to imagine what the world could be when love and justice and grace are filling it. And so um, it's not just a little library. It's a little library that's pointing people towards reconciliation and growth and transformation. Um, so join on the, at that group on February 16th at 530. Um, if you don't mind, stand in body or spirit as I offer a short blessing. And then feel free to grab a little snack, a little bathroom break, and then we'll be back in here in about 10 minutes or so to uh, talk some budget stuff. All right. May the God of Hesed the God of loving kindness, the God of justice, the God of this beautiful, self-sacrificial way of living go with you. May you see, has said, no matter where it is, may you see it, may you name it, may you proclaim it, and then may you be it. May you be the type of person that pours themselves out for the sake of this world to see it be more like Christ be more like justice and love. Go in grace, go in hope, and as always, go in peace. We'll see you in a little bit. Thank you for listening to this episode of Peace, the podcast. If you would like to learn more about our community, go to peaceumc.com. Again, that's peaceumc.com. For more episodes of this podcast, you can go to our website or go to the show page, peacethepodcast.podbean.com. Again, peacethepodcast.podbean.com. May you experience the love of God and may you have peace.